This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity. With your hosts, Jason Pufal, Stephen Maresca, and Matt Fusaro. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined as always by Matt Fusaro and Steve Maresca. Hey, guys. Hey. 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 Um, so I think we're, this is going to be, a, I think, a reasonably straightforward discussion today, but I think it is a question that feels like we have to answer a lot, and so we thought it'd be worth spending some time on, which is, you know, when are you? What's the difference between threat hunting and incident response? Uh, you know, when are you engaged in an incident? What's that distinction? Yeah. So, what are some of the activities that might occur for each? Uh, sort of talking through this a bit, and I think you know, I'll start maybe with a really, really high level uh, definition, and, and turn it over to you, Matt. But I think threat hunting tends to be more proactive. Uh, yeah. And incident response, as the name implies, is you know, you've had an event and now you're trying to figure out how to address it, right? And, and all the things that addressing and recovering means. But uh, I mean, I think at, at its root, that's probably the simplest way to describe it. Although sometimes we find ourselves talking about threat hunting maybe after an incident, maybe we've been called in late, and that's probably a worthwhile distinction to make at some point as well. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I think one way to look at it too is that an incident response might involve a threat hunt, but n not necessarily the other way around. Yeah. Right. Um, usually, there's a few triggers that would cause a team to want to go into a threat hunt. Um, you know, one of them might be uh, an actual incident has occurred. You know, that you have an attacker in your network. Uh, we know some things about this this attacker. We want to see if we can go and threat hunt that to see you know, what systems. Uh, were touched, maybe we have some very specific indicators that we want to look for, right? Um, other things would be threat intelligence that comes up. Um, you know, from whatever feed you get, maybe you want to take that intelligence and actually go search for that stuff inside of your, your organization. Um, there might be uh, an anomaly in your monitoring that happens. Uh, you know, you're, get, you're getting some alerts for things that maybe aren't, you know, very straightforward an issue, but uh, you know, maybe there's certain pieces, Hey, people are touching this file. Let's figure out why, uh, let's figure out why this is an issue. Why is it becoming an alert? Um, or you're looking for just some better knowledge about how certain things are being used. Um, and that would be more of a, you have, you have a new application coming into your environment. Um, and you want to understand better, you know, uh, the types of activity that's going on with that. So I want to pull you back to an acronym really quickly. Uh, you said indicators of comp uh, of compromise. Mm -hmm. uh, spend a second on what that is. Like, how do you how do you know uh, what an IOC might be? You know, where are you getting that information? How do you search for it? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. The most common way would be uh, a threat feed or uh, some organization uh, that either produces software, right? That uh, they know already that if these IPs or file names or file hashes are seen in an environment, it's verified activity that an attacker is there. And then you can use that data to um, help make a decision about whether that's in your organization or not. It's also something you develop midstream in an incident. It's unique right. to your environment. It's unique to the attack at hand. It's telltale signs that a system or an identity has been impacted by the, the attack might not be disclosed in the way that Matt's referring to, but, you know, you, you develop your own list that's situational. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and if you've had a compromise before and you have some historical data to go back on, um, if you're a large organization or you, you've got assets under control that are extremely valuable, you may want to take 
that historical data and see if there are other uh, what are called TTPs uh, uh, techniques. Uh, geez, I always forget the, the whole techniques, thing. tactics, techniques, and, procedures. and procedures. Yes, uh, you want to see if you can uncover other activity that's going on from that threat actor so that you can better defend yourself in the future. So, I mean, it, it stands to reason then the the better or maybe the, the the more thorough the data that you collect and store from sort of applications and systems from a logging standpoint, the the easier a threat hunter is going to be. Right. It, typically, you're okay. going to have to be a mature organization to initiate a threat hunt. You, uh, If you don't have visibility into logs, into your endpoint security data, uh, you, you know, if you don't have an EDR, if you don't have a SIM, uh, it might be very difficult to perform a threat hunt because you just don't really have much to look at. I, I would say that the effort may be exactly the same for analysis, whether you just stand up a, th- a threat hunting platform for purpose of incident response or you had one previously. You still have to do the work to query, to filter, to narrow down and sort of interpret. That's probably not a great deal of difference, but you may have developed organizational acumen with respect to understanding what's normal. Um, you might have developed uh, filters and queries to say, all right, this noisy thing, it's not a problem. We know it's uh, a, a, an expected behavior. So you might become more efficient um, by collecting data in advance. It's not a guarantee. Um, right. Knowing what, how things behave, you know, that there's always a benefit to that. So can, can I'm going to add, you know, I think we agreed on talking about threat hunting and incident response, but it occurs to me uh, – where does forensics come into play? I mean, is that uh, is that a could that be a portion of both? Is mm. that you know system analytics that might be different than data the, review? Like these what, are what? these are overlapping yeah. circles. I mean, some threat hunting platforms have forensic capabilities. Some forensic platforms have threat hunting capabilities. It's yep. there's an imperfect kind of definition. Bottom line, forensics is what you do when you have a really high bar for uh, analysis or a, a high effort load. So for example, if you need to determine who did what when, and there's a legal determination of, of, of a breach or an HR action that needs to take place or a crime, you're probably in forensics territory. If you have to preserve data contractually, you're in forensics territory. If you're simply doing analysis to figure out how things work, um, what files, processes, identities, things of that nature are invoked, you're probably in threat hunting territory. Um, the intersection's imperfect. Uh, you know, exporting a forensically useful log from a threat hunting platform may help interpret some of those other types of uh, data. So that's where they intersect. Generally I think speaking. That's, a, that's a clear yeah. definition. Yeah. I mean, that feels accurate. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you, you would take something like a timeline that you get out of a forensic activity and maybe include that in the data that you're looking at for your, your right. threat hunt. It's bi-directional. Right. It, typically, forensics will target very specific systems. Um, it's it's rare that we end up doing forensics on a really large group of things. That has happened before, but it's rare. Threat hunts will take um, some of the markers that you might get out of a forensic activity and then go search for that in the larger environment. I have a, a really good way of making a distinction here. If forensics, forensics is, is really what you do in terms of analysis when you're not otherwise recording the events or the data. So for right. example, it's, it's rare that all file activity logging occurs in an organization. It's very intensive. You don't know who touched the file, who modified it, who created it, who wrote it. That stuff tends to not occur. It's very expensive, or, um, 
and intensive in, in systems. So you might take data from a threat hunting platform and then right. pass it over to file system forensics to figure out an exact pattern of activity that you can only really divine from looking deeply at a file system. Right. Uh, so when we're talking about the proactive side of this, uh, and, and I think Steve, maybe as a, as a slight segue from what you just described, lots of people don't collect the amount of data that we would love to see in the if, if we were in an incident, right? Uh, but it's becoming increasingly common that clients have uh, endpoint detection and response mm -hmm. platforms in place. Um, you know, they're 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 generating alerts uh, with you know sort of a variety of different severities. Uh, what what does that look like? You know, do you consider that threat hunting when um, when you're reviewing that data? Do you consider that you're probably not an incident at that point? But uh, you know, describe taking a system like that and using the data proactively to reduce risk. Yeah, so you know, the, the way we do it with with our MDR services is that we take, um, you know, specifically we we work a lot with Defender for Endpoint from Microsoft, and we're lucky because they've got a lot of capabilities in the threat hunting arena. So th there's a full um, querying language called KQL that you could use to search through all the data that comes back from your EDR, uh, and some of that data would include file actions, network activity. Um, user logons, log offs, you know, a lot of that stuff that you'd expect out of a full featured EDR. Um, when we get an alert, typically it's it's a kind of an isolated event. We're going to look and see what it is that happened. It's probably on a particular endpoint. Um, if we see something in that data that suggests you know an attacker has you know breached a uh, a firewall or something like that, say there's an active attacker in the network. We might take some of the the data that we see in there, such as you know file names or process names, uh, network connections that were made, and use that as a threat hunt or as a, a set of data for the threat hunt uh, to see if that's in the larger environment or if anyone else is trying to get to that point of compromise. Right. That that's a particularly important point. In fact, that I want to emphasize just again, threat hunting is focused on taking single data points and applying them broadly. Right. Um, that's the crux of threat hunting, generally speaking. You may start with a particular system, but it's the analysis that tries to find similar patterns elsewhere. That that That's a really important facet of, of threat hunting. You may get some of those capabilities of an e, in an EDR platform. They're only really useful and appropriately called threat hunting when you can make those inferences and leaps to multiple systems for, for determining patterns. Right. It, typically, the first step of a threat hunt is that you want to create a hypothesis, right? That that hypothesis should be driving the whole reason for what you're doing. So an example is kind of what we just talked about. Let's say we, we have an alert on an endpoint. Um, we know that there's a particular IP that's connecting to that system. Let's use the hypothesis of anyone that has made a network connection using that IP is compromised, right? And now we go out and search for that. And if we get data back involving that, then we can make a good conclusion saying that these, these systems may either be compromised or about to be compromised. Let's see what we can do to actually protect against that. Right. And, and, and oftentimes it's taking that data and identifying legitimate activity, right? I mean, right. that could be, that could very well be the outcome. You know, uh, somebody escalated privileges for some purpose, but it was intentional. Uh, yep. right? You want to have that communication with our clients to say, we saw something. It's important to take a look. Let's validate whether or not you know, there's a risk here or 
you know, we need to spend more time on it or not. And, and that's the outcome of, of this a lot of time. Yep. Yeah. It, a lot of those types of activity where it, it could be good, it could be bad based on intention, right? It, you know, is this log on good or not? A lot of those things end up in um, systems where you have an automated threat hunting system, right? Because okay. that's not something you'd want to do manually all the time. Right. right. Um, so if your technologies are capable of it, either your your endpoint systems or your, um, you know, your SIM or anything like that, uh, you basically can schedule queries that run against that data to see if we've got hits that say, hey, you know, this stuff was involved. You're now going to have to make a determination whether this is good or bad activity. So maybe my last question, we, we get called for an incident. Uh, Threat Hunter is always a component of an incident of an incident for us. Um, we periodically get calls a month after somebody has had an incident, right? And either they've had, maybe they've had failed incident response, or they feel like they have uh, not gotten the conclusion they want uh, out of the work they did in incident response. Um, can you have a can you have a reactive threat hunt, or do you still consider that then part of the IR activity, even if it's four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks later? Yeah, I I consider that you know you'd still be able to do a threat hunt there. That that's definitely one of the triggers to to go in to do that. Uh, we typically approach those a bit differently. We're not so focused on containment right away, um, or not so focused on uh, you know maybe we're not deploying a bunch of forensic software getting ready to be able to respond if an attacker's moving around. We're we're here after the fact. We're really looking to gather data, make some determinations, see what we see, and then maybe go back into incident response if we have to. Yeah, so val maybe validate if the attacker's still resident and if, right. and if you and if so, right, gotta restart that IR process. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um so I mean I I I think that probably clears it up pretty well. I I actually like the I like that we segued a bit into forensics because I think they oftentimes get conflated. I think that sort of separating that out makes some makes some good sense. Yeah, but, they're they're overlapping disciplines. Is right. the end of the story, really? Uh, but I mean, it's fair to say threat hunting is a fair amount of work, and it's a it's a really ongoing activity, right? So I mean, we get called for it periodically, like as for discrete things. But if you've got security tools, uh, really the the review of data that comes from those it can be really onerous. But it that's effectively a proactive that's your proactive activity, right? That's your threat hunting. Yeah, by 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 performing threat hunting or you know leveraging a tool of threat hunting ahead of time, you're effectively shifting the burden from crisis mode up a little closer to past activity. Just makes everything a little more efficient, gives you better data to operate on and make better decisions. Is the end of end of the uh, way of framing it from my standpoint. Yeah, there's just a, there's a lot of data there to to weed through. I mean, in most really, it seems like most organizations don't have the staff, uh, and and really probably the maybe the, the engineering or analytical capabilities to go through that. Right. And if you if you had an incident that had a lot of ambiguity, you might consider installing threat hunting software as sort of a preventative step or a, an aid for the future to make things a little more effective. Sure. Uh, uh, any parting thoughts at all, Matt? Or? No, I think you know, if, if you do have a security team and, and people who are capable of this, I'd definitely recommend start involving that process and what you do, you know, for your plan yearly, um, maybe couple times a year, at least start there um, and look into some into automating some of it as well, right? To, to at least get you to a point where you're being a little bit more proactive with all that data that you're gathering instead of just kind of letting it sit there. And, you know, if an alert pops, we'll go take care of it, try to get out in front of it a bit more. Okay. Uh, so 
you know, hopefully that clears up maybe a little bit of the mystery of, of IR and, and threat hunting. Uh, I feel like, you know, we, we regularly get calls for both. I think sometimes people don't quite recognize the severe situation they might be in and it might be more of an, of an IR, but, yep. uh, but definitely look at the data you have, try to be proactive with it. Um, it, it's a bit of, it's, a, I'd say it's a bit of an art, uh, but it's one you can learn if you do it regularly enough. So, uh, as always, you know, hopefully this was informative. Hopefully it clears up a little bit about those two things are, uh, any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to, to talk in more depth. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Vancord Security. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.